Amen. Amen. So glad you are here with us on Friday night with friends in Newark. And do we have a, uh, a goodie tonight? Uh, one of my, uh, my mentors and professors is going to be teaching us tonight is uh, Mr. Reverend Dr. James Littles. Um, he has a book out. It's called More Like Him. Um, excellent book. Uh, so you can pretty much save yourself a fortune in education and just get the book. Um, and then you'll kind of get an idea of what's being taught. Um, you can go ahead and get that. Uh, one of the things I remember being on. Hello again. Sorry about that. Uh, my computer just for some reason kicked me out. Um, but you never wanted to miss his classes. And the joke was you never want to take two classes a semester because uh, it was incredible amount of work. Um, and he was very particular about which books he read. I mean, you made sure that you read all the books. So Stevens likes to brag and says he was the toughest professor. That's not true. It was, it was Brother Littles. Um, I felt he was always the toughest professor. So uh, without any further ado, I'm going to go ahead and introduce uh, Brother Littles. Go ahead, take it away, Brother Littles. Thank you, Arash. What a delight to be with all of you tonight. Uh, fond memories of uh, Sherry and my time in Newark, Delaware, uh, back in the mid-90s, the last millennium. I was a student at the University of Delaware working my PhD in teaching in Dover. So this is fond, triggering uh, fond memories of times of worship there, conversation with brothers and sisters there, many of which still very good friends. And uh, Arash and I spoke earlier uh, last week. He wanted me to consider talking about the role of the church. What does the church look like in times of crisis? 2020 will go down in all of our journals as a season uh, of crisis, as something that could be not be anticipated, uh, something which unfortunately many people think that our task is to survive 2020 because of the COVID pandemic crisis, as well as uh, many of our cities uh, burning literally with violence and fear and the polarization of our uh, very culture, tearing at the fiber of where we are. So there are many people who are praying, let's just get through this, let's survive this, let's get out of this. I believe that if we will look at the biblical text, we will find out that the mission of the church ha has never changed from when it started until when the church is going to be called home. Uh, could be at any time or it could be another hundred years, I don't know. But the mission has never shifted and never changed. God was in Christ reconciling the world and himself and has given to us both the deeds or ministry of reconciliation and the words of reconciliation. And as such, it doesn't matter the conditions that are around the church. The church's job stays consistent. So for me, at the beginning of this crisis, I had a session with our small group leaders here in, uh, uh, I was going to say Delaware since that's where I'm talking right now, but here in Garland, Texas, our group leaders, and began to think about this COVID crisis situation. This was back in March, and it had just started, March or April. Thinking of it as a stress test for the church, that uh, the stress test can reveal spiritual conditions which are in the inside. So I thought it might be instructive for us, as we're exploring what does the church look like in times of crisis, to think in terms of Brother Jacob, uh, also known as Pastor James, from James chapter 1, writing to the 12 churches in the 12 tribes in diaspora, scattered around. And of course, they're scattered, as we know from Acts chapter 11, scattered because of all of the persecution they had suffered following James, uh, Stephen's stoning. James chapter 1, verse 1, starts with uh, this wonderful... Uh, Self-declaration, self-identification. Uh, sorry, I thought I had written down on a sheet of paper. Starting with this wonderful self-declaration of who he is, James, a slave, a bond servant. Uh, James, a, so a slave of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. So when we think about our identity as calling him Lord, which we are frequently uh, known to do, to be perhaps one of the uh, 
uh, earliest statements of identity in the church. And uh, Pastor Beardsley, of course, his wonderful dissertation on Lord uh, in the New Testament uh, takes us to many, many different levels. Uh, but James identifying himself as a slave of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So the church today in crisis is no different than the church in other seasons of crisis. So I think the first thing we can recognize is that the church has been here before. We've been here before. We've been in crisis before. The church has suffered things far more severe than this. It's only through a myopic lens of just today or consumerism that forces us to forget that the church has been sent into crisis times. As a matter of fact, the church was designed for this. Uh, you were made for this. You were tailor-made for this as a part of Christ's body. Uh, and I know that, that sounds paradoxical, and it's against what the media is telling us. It's against even what our emotions can tell us from time to time. But we realize from the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus speaking very early on, told folks, if you want to live the blessed life, you want to be blessed, here's your best life now. Your blessed best life now isn't experiencing wealth and riches, but it's being poor in spirit. It's being able to be a peacemaker. I frequently tell students that the top graduates of Peacemaker U, P-U, Peacemaker U, the top graduates of Peacemaker U are sent into the worst scenarios. After the election in uh, November and coin toss right now, who that might be, uh, I won't, I, when it comes down to the end, I don't think it really matters to me which, one, which side wins because neither side has the answer. The only answer is in Christ. So if your hope is in either party winning, uh, then your hope is misplaced. And this crisis time should be bringing anxiety and fear if your confidence is on humanity being able to solve this. But we recognize that in this season, in this time of turmoil, and travail of our culture. Christ has prepared the church to go into dark seasons. After the election, the, uh, the contributors to campaigns and the ones who had seated in on the side of the winning president, you don't put the political appointee in the most dangerous of situations. You put those political appointees in Switzerland, a uh, place where I wouldn't mind at all being an ambassador. Great chocolate, great watches, a little bit of schlussing in the wintertime, cool music, wonderful culture. Just send me there. I think I can keep war out for another two years. They haven't had one for 450. I think I can keep that running for two more years. But in times of crisis, uh, kings and presidents, prime ministers, they send their best diplomats into the most hellacious of circumstances. When hell is on earth, when nations fail, when there's violence on every side and there is very little hope for any Thing to survive. It's into that place where you send your most gifted ambassadors. Christ has gifted the church by the power of the Spirit and the giftings that go to the church collectively and to individuals. He has gifted us for this season. So if we could for a little while suspend our own emotions, which are wrought with this raw edgedness of how do we respond when governments tell us when we can have church and not have church? How do we respond when, uh, oh no, I have to walk back to my truck a 17 time for my face mask because I can never remember it. Instead of responding to those natural pieces, we need to look at our world and say, Lord, what are you doing in this time? James continues in, uh, uh, Pastor James, I'll remind you, uh, is writing, Verse number two, my brothers and sisters, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience or endurance. And then let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking nothing. So this season, this season of difficulty and trials in which we are uh, encountering so many questions which leave people heartbroken and leave people feeling hopeless and wondering which way to turn. This season is a gift to the church if we walk by faith. Now, I know that sounds harsh on the surface. How could a coronavirus, how can Portland and D.C. and Chicago and 
and uh, a small town that we had never heard of before in Wisconsin. How can their burning down be a gift to the church? It's a gift if you and I will say, Lord, what is it that you are wanting to do in the world right now? And let us be a part of it. Because the eruption of our cities and the fears that have come over a coronavirus, they are revealing deeper tears in the American psyche, the American spirit. Social fabrics are not beginning to tear. These are merely uh, episodes revealing what's really in the heart. And as James will say later, that it's out of uh, a split uh, soul, a double-minded soul that we lose compass uh, our direction. So instead, we can count this as the church. We count these trials as a delight, as a joy. Lord, you're going to teach us something through this. You're going to restore the center of our purpose and design right in the middle of where you would have us to be so that we can walk by faith and not by sight. Paul's very careful in the book of Galatians to say, who has bewitched you? Uh, the Greek word there is uh, kind of humorous to me, pharmacia. Who drugged you, dude? What have you been smoking? Where have you been in Colorado? You know, what, what, what have you been smoking? You started by faith, and now you've turned around and tried to live earning God's privileges by works. Instead, we started by faith, we're going to continue in faith. And this crisis time reveals to us that we can count this all joy because out of this, God is doing amazing things. Because you and I, as men and women of faith, we know who holds history in his hand. Not just history of yesterdays, but the history of tomorrow is already accomplished. We call this eschatology or the study of last things. The kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. God's will is being done. And for the church, we cry out, oh Lord, let it be in us. Mature us to the place where we do not measure our value. We do not measure our purposes by what's happening around us. Instead, we in baptism have died to us so that we can be alive in you. We have already begun to participate in the resurrection because we're alive in Christ, living on his mission, living on his purposes. Now, this call to have a different perspective of crisis around us, James reminds us, you can't do this on your own. If you lack the wisdom of seeing crisis as a wonderful thing, then you need to pray. Say, Lord, give me that wisdom. And in uh, James 3, he tells us, calls it, it's the wisdom from above, and then lists out the attributes of the wisdom that comes from above. It's as we pray for that kind of wisdom that our double-mindedness, that is our double-souledness, his half-brother Jesus on the Sermon on the Mount again said that you can't serve God and mammon. You can't believe in the outpouring of the Spirit that God is doing to transform a world in his name. You can't believe in that and abide in fear and anxiety. Brother Paul puts it this way. He says, uh, we have not been given the spirit of bondage again to fear, but we have been given the spirit of adoption. We are newborn into Christ, but we are also adopted into Christ. When we recognize that we're adopted into Christ, we're adopted with purpose. In the Roman world, you wouldn't adopt children, typically. You would adopt an adult, someone that you saw capacity to carry on your family's business or the empire, in the case of the emperor. We have been adopted by the king of the universe, the king of kings, and lord of lords, because he sees capacity and purpose in each and every one of us. And it's out of that recognition of our purpose that we cry out, Oh, Abba, Father, I have a right to cry out. You adopted the church. The Newark church was adopted by the king for this time right now. What a delightful time to be a part of the Newark church. What a delightful time to recognize God has sent you into this world. And as such, we can call for wisdom. And when the stressors reveal fear, reveal anxiety, reveal an inability to see tomorrow through the lens of hope of the gospel. That's a gift from the Lord because it reveals in our spirit something that needs to be transformed and made right. 
similar to later on, James is going to say, don't let anybody say that they're tempted of God. Instead, when you're tempted, you are drawn out of your own desires, your own lusts. And he uses angler words, fishing words. He says, you are lured away. You are enticed. You're drawn in by something. You are baited by junk in your own soul. So similar to the trials that face us as a church, temptations that faced us as individuals, the temptations to abandon our posts, temptations to center on self in times of crisis, temptations to give up hope, all of these things, whether they be mental failures in the spirit or emotional failures in the spirit or praxis, action in the spirit, whichever form of failure that might be, it happened because of something inside of us, the lust of having my needs met rather than the Lord's purposes fulfilled. That's revealed in times like this. So I should even count temptations. This is a paradox. It's a strange way of thinking, I know, but it fits in the book of James. That when these things come your way, whether it's trials to the church, as a stress test, or temptations to me as a person that reveals where my desires are out of whack, I can go to the Lord from whom every good gift and perfect gift comes from above. And of course, that gifting that he has for us, the premier element of that, of course, is the charismata, the gracious gifting of the Spirit. These good gifts are from above, uh, and his own will he has brought us forth by the word of truth, that we might be a kind of first fruits of all creation that we, as we experience those good gifts, those good charismata, gracious gifting of the Spirit, that we can be the first fruits of that. First fruits is because there's more fruit coming. More fruit coming. Don't know about the Newark Church, assuming this is the case. But during this time of crisis, our church here in Garland, Texas, has had many, many folk, some backsliders and some folks we've never seen before, begin to grow hungry for the Lord again. What a special time if we can stay rooted in our purpose and design for this hour. I want to reiterate, the mission has not changed. So the church in crisis, his mission does not change. If we have to change our mission, if you're thinking about changing your mission because of the crisis, that means your mission is, was either off before or you're being tempted and drawn away of your own lust to change it now. We live on behalf of our master who sends us into the world. John 21 lets us know that to serve in this way, uh, we have to be a lover of Christ more than the lover of anything else. Peter, do you love me more than these? If so, you can feed my sheep, my lambs, my sheep. Peter gets very irritated and says, Lord, you know I love you. And Jesus says, well, why don't you start acting like a son? Later on, as you read 1 Peter, you'll find out that the apostle had gone through tremendous makeover in every part of his uh, personality, part of his spirit, part of his uh, way of thinking. Uh, by the time he writes uh, 1 Peter, because in 1 Peter, he, he is delighted that he has an opportunity to suffer for the cause of Christ. And when he talks about healing, you know, during the season of brokenness and physical suffering, I'm not minimizing uh, deaths and suffering kinds of things that have happened around us, not minimizing them at all. But uh, Peter will tell us it's by the stripes of Christ we are healed. Now, those stripes that he's talking about are not primarily physical uh, brokenness. Instead, he's putting it in the context of being a witness in the world, a witness in the world. And then he gives four or five case studies, talks about the witness under evil empires. And uh, it seems like our governments around the world are making decisions uh, which would be against the cause of Christ. Actually, uh, this is a great time to be the church because his light shines brighter, just like the window now, uh, letting light through and uh, putting a glow on my visage. Hopefully it isn't disrupting your screen there. But the church is able to glow in the light of Christ in this season under evil empires. And the second case study uh, Pastor Peter says in First Peter, second case study is for women uh, who are disciples and their husbands are, are not disciples. It's in that context uh, that, uh, excuse me, I skipped the second one. First one was evil empire. Second one was masters to slaves uh, serving evil masters. And the third is uh, wives 
to unsaved husbands. It's after the second one of the slaves serving evil masters that uh, Peter says that Christ himself bore stripes. He suffered, and it's by his suffering that we are healed. Not primarily talking about our physical healing. On that last day, every tear will be gone. On the last day, uh, all healing will be complete. But the primary healing that we have in First Peter is a healing of our spirit and our emotions so that we can be that salt and light in the world. I pray right now in the name of Jesus, any fear or anxiety or inability to face tomorrow that you're experiencing right now individually, as a family or as a corporate body, I pray right now that you receive the healing of by his stripes, that your spirit is healed, your emotions are healed, your that fear is banished and in its place is hope, and that despair is gone and in its place is purposeful joy, and where you felt wars on every side as a nation, and that in its place you receive the Prince of Peace. That's God's purpose and God's will in the church so we can live out the mission which has never changed. So the stress test called 2020 calls the church to explore again what her mission is and to walk boldly in that and to live faithfully in it. Uh, Pastor James, going back to the book of James, talks about a faith that has to be lived out. And he says the true religion and undefiled is to care for the widow and to care for the fatherless. Those situations have not changed, even though COVID has come, even though our cities are burning, and there are deep, deep divides on both of those issues. The racial uh, sin that's at place in the Americans, America's history of slavery has brought such pain to our nation with ongoing racism, and that's just one dividing factor add in sexism and classism and different forms of ability, add in all the diversity that we have and the pain that human beings can give to others. This is the time for the church to walk boldly in its path, a path strewn with broken glass, a path strewn with burnt out automobiles, broken windows, to walk in that way and find the poor and care for them. As we read this passage of caring for the poor, following the royal law, the law given by the king is the royal law of loving neighbors more than self. Remember that this is the, the scattered church that James is writing to. He's writing to a poor church. He's called James the Just because of his uh, strong view of righteousness and speaking on behalf of the poor. In this case, he's speaking to an impoverished church and says, your faith has to have some action. And you're going to live it out. Otherwise, you're looking into a looking glass, a mirror, turn around, and you forget what you saw. So the royal law is a looking glass, and so is the 2020 experiences. Many people started 2020 with their vision casting for the year to have 2020 vision. And they had no idea the way in which 2020 could literally become a revisioning time. Because we, when we look into the crisis around us, it reveals what's in our spirit. If I'm torn by fear and anxiety, the crisis of 2020 is not the issue. The issue is my faith has somehow been misplaced. Or to use James's language, I have a double mind, a double soul. I've been, on the one hand, following Christ, but on the other hand, celebrating American uh, liberties or American treasures or uh, American lifestyle. So looking into the perfect law reveals us in light of who Christ is calling us to be, and looking into the crisis of 2020 is giving us a new perspective, an opportunity for us to live out our actions. In uh, chapter uh, two, I believe it is, Abraham is given as an example of whose faith had legs, and so is Rahab. So on the one hand, you have a man of wealth, Abraham. You have a man with an elite calling, calling to be the father of the faithful, uh, calling as, as one, as a friend of God. And what an opportunity uh, that we could follow Father Abraham. Anyone of faith today, Paul's going to tell us, is a follower of Abraham. So on the one hand, we have a wealthy elite calling. On the other hand, we have a person from the margins. So James is careful because he had already talked about not giving uh, privilege to one group of people over another group of people. So it gives an example, a wealthy, elitely called person. 
and Rahab, a marginalized person, a person who would have been ridiculed in many places because of her profession, previous profession, as a harlot on the wall. It's through her faith that she is saved and her family is saved, and it seems like she had such a minimal call. Her, her mark, leaving a mark, which now is a you know, early onset geezer uh, moving towards uh, an important uh, mile marker birthday next year. As I look for that, I'm wondering, has my life left a mark? Has it done anything significant? Uh, have, I, have I brought any kind of transformation of change that's meaningful? When I look to Rahab, my spirit gains hope because Rahab on one day made a choice. And because of that choice she made, a choice of faith that lived out in works, caring for the messengers on the wall and letting them down. Because of that, she saved not only herself, but she saved her whole family, those who were in the house. And of course, as we know from uh, Matthew chapter one, verse number five, that Rahab is in the lineage of, of David and in, then in the lineage of, of Jesus. Could it be that Boaz knows how to care for Ruth because of who his mama was? Not been that long before that his mama had told the stories, told the stories of the crisis that had come, and she had put faith in the God of Israel, who she proclaims in Joshua chapter 2. She proclaims he's the God of heaven and he's the God of earth. It's high time for the church in 2020 to say he's the God of heaven, but he's also the God of earth. He is large and in charge, and it's through Rahab's life, and we only see one example. Abraham, elite calling. Rahab, such a small marker. Oh, what a mark she left. Brothers and sisters, I want you to know when you're gifted by the Holy Spirit, you are called to walk as a steward of that gifting. You might be like Rahab and me, just a small calling, or you might have a calling the shape of Abraham. I don't know God's purposes in specific place for you in his body, but this one thing I do know, he is a good steward of his resources. And it's because he's a good steward of his resources, I absolutely trust that he has sent the church into 2020, not to shake us up, to make us uncomfortable, but to focus us on what he's really calling us to do in this season. What a delight it has been to meet with you uh, tonight to talk about uh, the wonderful chance to be the church in 2020. As I'm wrapping up, maybe conclude by looking at James chapter 5. We quote an earlier part of the chapter. It's, any sick among you, let them call for the elders anointing with oil. And during this COVID season, maybe we've anointed oil with gloves on our hands we never had to do before. Done some strange thing. I had Zoom communion on Good Friday this year with the church in Connecticut and Ohio. Had never done that before. But I think it's really important towards the end of chapter five, if we want to have uh, fervent prayer, if we want to have prayer like a righteous man that avails much, it includes confession. So in times like these, when we can share with one another, oh, Brother Littles, Jim, I, I hear what you're saying, but I'm really struggling with this. As we confess to one another those issues and we pray for one another, caring for one another, it's in that that amazing things can happen in the shape, in the shape of what God needs the church to be in 2020. Amen. 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 I really enjoy that. Um, so um, go ahead, Joyce, and uh, we'll go ahead and start taking questions about uh, the church in a pandemic. I love that, a stress test. That's exactly what it is. Um, so one of our questions that's coming to us is um, wondering what is your rationale behind calling him Pastor James and Pastor Pete, and Pastor Peter, I'm sorry. Sure. Uh, James is probably the first bishop of Jerusalem. Uh, well, I think, uh, in and we see that in Acts 15, the role that he's taking. Uh, when Peter is released from prison, uh, he, Scripture, you know, he, we tell this cool story, you go knocking on the door, and the servant girl comes, and she's all shocked. She slams the door in his face and goes back in. Yeah. It's amazing to me. The next verse says, and Peter went away. 
here's the man who carries the keys of the kingdom. And that's what Luke has to say about Peter's experience. And he went away. Uh, James becomes the leader of the church and he is the pastor of the Jerusalem church. So that's why I call him Pastor James. Pastor Peter, that directly goes to John 21 because uh, the word pastor means shepherd. Now, Peter, of course, is a pastor. He self-identifies in 1 Peter chapter 5 as elder, which is another term for pastor. Uh, uh, the word elder is more uh, frequently used in the New Testament for what we would call a pastor's role. And some of our churches, such as PFW churches, would still call their pastors elders instead of pastors. So uh, Peter is pastor from John 21 and his self-identifier in uh, 1 Peter chapter 5. Awesome. Awesome. Um, we're, still, another... we're still apostles, but we're still apostles, but their the role, and I think the role in which they're writing, uh, he's writing to the church. He's writing as his congregation scattered, and Peter self-identified as as pastor. So if they self-identify, that's how I'm going to choose to talk about them. That's all right. All right. Um, I have another question is, um, <clears throat> how is your church meeting right now? What are they doing? And um, kind of, if you could kind of give us a little bit of insight about what you guys have been doing. Well, we're doing our best uh, to do the social distancing. Uh, before the crisis, we had two Sunday morning services and a Sunday night service. Uh, the room in which we meet is not large enough to meet, to have us all together at one time. Uh, so we had a nine and 11 o'clock services, which are basically the same service set. Our uh, pastor preaches the same sermon both times. And then a Sunday night service with the restart uh, and the need for cleaning, all those kinds of things, the weight that that puts on our volunteer staff. And early on, you remember the challenge of getting enough cleaning supplies in the first place. We have not yet restarted our Sunday night service. So we still have the, uh, the two Sunday morning services and we, and we have our Wednesday night Bible study course, those who are at risk, we are encouraging them to stay home. Um, we practice social distancing. We have uh, chairs instead of pews. So we practice social distancing by scattering the chairs by groups of two or three chairs or five chairs. And we ask individuals or families to pick uh, the arrangement of chairs that fits their demographic. How are you doing small groups? I'm sorry. I, I, you, you're talking about services, but are you going to talk about small groups as well? I will in a moment. Yeah. Sorry. Uh, sorry. Yeah. Another thing that we do is we have these little red dots that are at the door. So if someone feels uncomfortable and, you know, they greet each other with a holy kiss, we may not go that far, but generally a handshake. Uh, but if you're feeling or at risk or something, put a red dot on you, and that's a sign to folks, you know, keep uh, critical distance, very important for them. We want to make sure no one feels like they're marginalized or looked down on that their faith is weak because they wear a mask through the whole service uh, or they have the red dot kind of stuff. We do have small groups. Uh, some of those are still meeting exclusively online uh, through Zoom or what have you. Right now we're in a, a break between our small groups. Month of September we roll out our new catalog and then we restart the last uh, couple of days of September for our fall uh, piece. And it, I'm assuming it'll be similar to that. We'll have some small groups that our folks are comfortable with it. Those that are at church, uh, we keep, you know, uh, six feet apart in small groups. So we, fortunately, our facility has numbers of large rooms that we can scatter around the building. Uh, for me, my small group is in my home. Uh, so we have several that feel comfortable in the home. Others, are in the small group with Zoom. Oh. So I have a combined group myself. Um, and it's given me an opportunity to bring in, uh, we have a, a, a young lady that just moved here from the Philippines. She and her husband have been working on her visa to get to the U.S. for about a year and a half. So he was in my small group. She was in my small group while living in the Philippines. Uh, so she was joining us on Wednesday morning while we met Tuesday night, simply because of the time difference. And then some saints from other churches in Arkansas joined in my small group. So it's a wonderful time to use some of those tools creatively. Do you, and this is my question, and then I'll get to these other questions since I have you here. Um, 
the scriptures talk about gathering, assembling ourselves together. Um, do you think it specifies in person or do you think Zoom and online is, you think that it's also meeting that need, especially in this time? I think it can approximate. Uh, and if there aren't other options, I think they work. For me, for Acts chapter 2, verse 42, of course, we spent a lot of time on 38, but 42 gives the, for me, the, the paradigm of what church life looks like moving forward. And the apostles' doctrine, and generally the apostles wouldn't have been there. They would have just been sharing the words of the apostles. Apostles' doctrine, fellowship. Uh, historically, the apostolic church in the old days might have had church dinners and hanging out with each other. I think we've got to get back into that Book of Acts lifestyle of doctrine, fellowship, breaking of bread, uh, when I believe that that includes communion. Um, I could get into that in a different time. We don't have time now, but you know, Arash. I know. <laughs> and fourthly, uh, in prayers. And so those were the paradigms. Now, sometimes the church has had to do that very quietly. Uh, in our world today, we I have brothers and sisters, you have brothers and sisters that are meeting in China where it's illegal. Uh, talk about a stress test for the church, but they're growing. Uh, they're flourishing. Uh, they'll get, and it's so important for them to get together. Now, I know that there, there's also monitoring of uh, social media, so may not be as an example there, but they'll, they'll take scattered times to come into a building and they will act like they're having music lessons and they're learning a song or learning a piano and the song that they're learning is worship. So while they're learning how to play the tune, they're, they're worshiping the Lord. And the, and the lecture includes uh, doctrinal pieces. And so they're doing whatever they need to do to get together. So uh, I think that Zoom can approximate it. I think that human beings, as we know from Genesis chapter uh, 1 and 2, it's not good for human beings to be alone. So I don't believe technology uh, that is mediated uh, communication fully meets the need, but I think it can approximate it. So let's use those tools where we can, but I don't think that this is the answer going forward. Yeah. <laughs> I, do believe, I do believe forsaking not the assembling of yourself, probably on a call for more of the small group things. We can hear Pastor Stephen preach on uh, Sunday, and we can go to the altar and truly weep and repent and receive blessings. But it's unless we get together with a brother or sister on Tuesday and have a cup of coffee and talk about, you know, this is what the Lord is doing in me. And this is how I'm responding. I tell folks, when you hear a sermon or read the word, you got to do four things. Grab something that you learned. You got to think of something you can put into practice. You got to pray in line with that. And you got to get somebody to hold you accountable to walk in that learning. So every sermon that Pastor Stephen preaches, and I know there's 97 points and 13 subpoints for each, 97 points, I get it. He's a brilliant guy and can speak a lot of stuff. But as you leave, you got to take away one thing. This is why God had me here, and this is the change he's wanting in my spirit. But please don't forget that fourth piece. Get together with somebody and say, this is what the Lord spoke to me. What did he speak to you? It's as we uh, share those words. In, in the book of Psalms, it talks about one generation speaking to the other generation. So some of our conversation partners need to be a people of different generations. I need to speak to elders. Yes. Or acknowledge that people need to speak to me <laughs> uh, as an elder. Uh, but I need to speak to young people. I need to speak to peers. I need to speak to folks who are my uh, spiritual uh, mentors uh, in all of these ways. And I think the forsaking of ourselves I think, there's gonna, I think we're finally grasping that that paradigm from Acts 2.42 is vital for us, even now in the 21st century. Amen. Amen. Um, another question, and I'm going to lump these two together, is how do you stay focused on the mission of the church during a pandemic? And then how do you um, encourage yourself in times of crisis and help others uh, kind of be motivated? Uh, a lot of this is going to come back to uh, some personality styles. Uh, I'll, I'll mention right now, I don't think personalities are wrong. Uh, we are all made in the image of God. And this is why Pastor James is going to say in chapter 3, uh, out of your mouth you can't bless God and curse people uh, because you're blessing God and cursing the image of God. That doesn't, that's not compatible. So our personalities, each of us have different personalities in the body. The body needs differing personalities. Uh, 
my personality, the way I handle it uh, is one of my spiritual formation tools. And by the way, I'm calling them spiritual formation and not spiritual discipline. Hold up the book again, Arash. There we go. Advertisement. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't tell people that I got four of my sermons from this book and I didn't give you credit just so you're aware. <laughs> the title of the book is more like him. It's being more like Jesus. So spiritual disciplines can focus too much on my practice side. Am I getting the practices right? Spiritual formation is being made in his image. So that's a critical point. So for me, journaling is where I handle what you just asked, Arash. Uh, I am able to, and here's my personal process. Uh, you don't have to do it the same way, just this is the way I do it. I started by reading my, the text, whatever text I happen to be in. Right now I'm reading from 2 uh, Timothy. It may seem like I'm hanging out with James a lot tonight. That's because I'm writing 11 Bible studies for the book of James for, I was in my Bible study series. I, I only teach one of them, but I write 11 of them. So James is on my mind right now a little bit. All right. Uh, my, my devotional reading is from Second Timothy right now. So I'll read. Uh, today I read 10 verses. I'm, I'm a slow person. I didn't graduate from school until I was 42. That shows you how slow I am. Uh, most people get done when they're 18 or 22. It took me until I was 42 to finish school. Uh, so I'll read 10 verses, but I'll read them five or six times. I'll go from there. I'll set the Bible aside for a moment. Then I'll pull out my journal. And for me, since June the 10th of last year, the first sentence of every journal entry has the word grace in it. So I do something to confess God's grace. God's at work. God's gifting me for a purpose. He's gifted me by, through mercy of calling me his son. And now he's gifting me to live in the world. That's a confession sometimes. It's not a feeling. Right. We don't walk by sight. But we also don't walk by heart. We don't walk by our emotions. So I have to confess sometime. Paul says this way, he says, you got to hold strong to your profession. We should all be professors. Hold strong, strong to our profession. So my first sentence or two will always be something about grace. Uh, so I can focus my life on that which is uh, truly emphatic and strong grace. And then I can get real and honest if I'm in those uh, feeling fear or anxiety. I'm honest with that, but I'm honest with that fear under the work of grace. Fear doesn't control the narrative. COVID pandemic doesn't control the narrative. Cities burning don't control the narrative. Grace controls the narrative. And that allows me to be honest. So Arash, you're saying, well, how do we deal with this? I think one of the key elements is honesty. We have to confess what's in our, truly in our heart. That doesn't mean it's right, but we need to confess it. Lord, I am feeling anxious right now. I confess that. You told me I should cast that anxiety on you. Pastor Peter, again, First Peter uh, chapter 5. Notice the context there. Cast the anxiety verse before that, which most grammarians believe is the same sentence. He resists the proud and gives grace to the humble. Cast your cares on him, your anxieties on him because he cares for you. So if you don't cast your cares on him, it's because you're proud. That's what Peter is saying, not me. I have to lay this on my brother Pete. Uh, okay. It's out of pride. It's saying, I can deal with this on my own. Mm. This is, of course, an American ideal That's myth. It's not real. It's a myth that I'm independent. I'm not independent. I didn't generate the electricity for my light bulb. I have no idea how my computer works. Uh, I get a loaf of bread. It took thousands of hands to get that loaf of bread to the grocery store. By the time you go and check out the guys that, that dug oil wells and pipe fitters that got it down to the refinery and then someone that uh, dug iron ore out of the mountain someplace and shipped it to Iowa for a tractor to be made who, who uh, put fertilizer in, in it from the Middle East put it on. So it took a thousand people to get me a loaf of bread, but I have the myth of I'm independent. When I cast my anxieties on him, I'm confessing, Lord, I am your servant. James says, I'm a servant of God and the Lord Jesus Christ. As servant, uh, I am called to do my master's bidding. But as I told one of my colleagues today at uh, church, it also means he's taking care of stuff. Uh, Matthew chapter six, if I take care of birds, don't you think I'll take care of you? 
Yeah. So when I'm in anxiety, I'm questioning his goodness. Mm. I'm saying, I don't think you're really that good or I don't think you're that powerful. So I'm questioning that. So I have to be willing to trust him. And finally, okay, so I'll, uh, I was, I'll go back. Uh, Grace is at work. I'll confess. And the confession might be wonderful things. It might have had a, a delightful dinner with my uh, sweetheart lady, Sherry. Uh, been married 40 years now. So there's been lots of great dinners in those 40 years. So I can, I can, I can write good things. It might be a good conversation like this one right now. So it, it's not just uh, a troublesome time, but wonderful times. They're also under the realm of grace, rubric of grace. And then I start moving into where I am today, but it's always going to be in light of what I just read. This is, to me, part of the amazing thing about the word. The word is always going to shed light on my reality now. And then I'll write down what verse I read for the day, and then I'll copy out two or three of the verses, which are my focal point, and then I'll write out a prayer. My prayer is not controlled by my need. My prayer is controlled by the word. Okay? If, I can, if it's human-centered, it, my prayer... I'm going to be asking them this, but if my prayer comes out of the word, uh, it might be addressing the same thing, but I'm looking at it through his lens instead of my lens. And of course, we all know that we don't have to ever pray, Lord, would you speak? That's an irreverent prayer request. If it's on your list, strike it out right now. Don't don't pray again, Lord, would you speak to me? Uh, Revelation 2 and 3 tells us those that have ears, let them hear. So for me, I use journaling to get the, the wax out of my ears. I use it to, to hear what the Spirit's saying and what the Spirit's doing. Uh, so that's the process that I use. Uh, before I go back to Arash for the next question, I want to remind you that sometimes life doesn't look easy from our flesh. Paul, writing his prison epistles, I think it was Colossians, at the end he's giving his prayer request to the people. Uh, remember, he, he, he's in such a state now that he's even got to ask for a jacket. That's how impoverished he is. And, and some of his manuscripts, he would like to have his papers. Uh, but he says, here's my prayer request for you, Colossians Church. Would you pray with me that the Lord would give me the words to say and the courage to say them? I'm in prison. I've got some hard case guards over me right now, and I don't know how to witness to them. So pray with me. Not pray that I get out of jail. I've gotten out of jail before. God didn't do it when I sang in the midnight hour. So, okay, he's choosing not to get me out of jail this time. I'm here. This is God's plan. So I'm going to stop praying I want out of jail. And I'm going to start praying, how do I talk to people mm. here? So I need the words, and I need the courage to speak the words right here in this jail, because evidently this is where God wants me to be, or I'd be someplace else. And what a delight it is, Paul says, what a delight it is to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ, a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm not a prisoner of Rome. I'm a prisoner of Christ. Another place he calls himself an ambassador in chains. So he has diplomatic immunity. That's what holiness is, this diplomatic immunity. Sin of this world can't get on us because his holiness covers us. I have diplomatic immunity as an ambassador, but I'm an ambassador in chains for Christ and can't go wrong. You know, I'm just walking as a servant where he would send me. That's where I want to go. Amen. Amen. Um, Another question that we have um, is what have you learned about the state of the church through this crisis so far? kind of reflecting back the last five months, what are some of your nuggets that you pulled away? Uh, Grant Wacker tells us in his excellent book, which you might remember, Rosh, I'm sure, from early Pentecostal movements class. Uh, Grant Wacker wrote a book uh, about 2001 or two, and he, uh, heaven below his title of the book, he said there's two things in Pentecostal DNA, that is a primitivism, uh, a quest to go back to the book, and pragmatism, that is, what works. The early phases of the chaos, Pentecostals turned on the pragmatism switch big time. Okay, we can't meet anymore, so what tools are we going to use? Oh, Zoom works. So we all have Zoom accounts and are on Zoom more than we care to be. So we're quickly uh, adopting these tools and resources. 
Uh, now that this has gone beyond May when we thought it would be over with, I think now there are many leaders, and when I say leaders, I don't just mean pastors. I mean spiritual leaders, people who are seeking God's purposes in their life on behalf of the world. They're not praying, Lord, would you help me through the crisis? Spiritual leaders are saying, Lord, what are you doing in us to be in the world? Spiritual leaders are going back to the word again and seeing how the word speaks to 2020, uh, such as our case study tonight, looking at the book of James. Uh, look, reading it through that lens. So yes, we do the work of seeing what was the original context, all of that hermeneutic stuff. Uh, but now the church needs to go back to the book again and say the church has been in chaos most of its history. Matter of fact, when the church hasn't been in chaos, it hasn't done well. Similar to Israel in the book of Joshua and, and Judges, when things were going well, uh, the cycle went down. So a church that is that is happy and wealthy and building big buildings sometimes gets way too self-centered and wants to control narratives through power instead of through humility and weakness. Uh, so the crisis actually is halfway decent place for the church and it's where the church has been most of its history. And it's, and it's there today. We have had more martyrs in the last five or ten years uh, in, in the world. Uh, Christians martyred for the gospel's sake than all previous human history. So the church has been in chaos. Uh, the Western church has been spared most of it. So really this 2020 is a gift from God. Gift from God. All right. But you heard me say oftentimes, Arash, frustration is a gift from God. And I would always pause and say, how many of you feel really gifted right now? Uh, <laughs> Do you remember your exam opportunities? <laughs> Frustrations are a sign that something's out of whack. It's just like when your engine is squealing a little bit or uh, you can turn up your radio, which is what I do when I don't have money. I turn up my radio hoping I can hear that more than I can hear my car squawking. But the squeal of the, radio, of the engine, if I'll go tend to that, that squeal was a gift. It showed me that something was off. When I feel frustration in my spirit, it's a gift from God. It helps me know something's out of line alignment, and I can surrender to God in those times. So the, I'm not saying God brought the COVID. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that God has sent us into this world. This world has a pandemic. It's had far worse pandemics in the past, but for the church, we can receive it as a gift. We can say, Lord, you are mighty and strong, and you bring good even out of evil. That's how how uh, awesome you are. So you're going to help us be on target more than we were in the past. Do you also think the, that the pandemic also has kind of forced churches to have a more robust presence online? And um, reaching I think, the pragmatism, I think the church has done that. I, I'm still thinking that human beings are social people and media does not uh, take care of all of that. Uh, it can do a piece somewhere that letters, the uh, pastor uh, James and Pete were writing letters to congregation. That's mediated conversation. And Paul would frequently say, I'm writing this. I wish I were there. I, since I can't be there, I'll write a letter. So it filled in some of the pieces, but God's peoples are going to join together. Uh, I think that we are going to have to, we, we may, some places may not be able to go back to big buildings for a while, but the church isn't a building uh, at all. What I would not want to happen is that social space on the internet become our new understanding of church. When I was a kid, you know, here's the church, here's the steeple, look inside, there's all the people. Never teach your children that evil finger play. That is absolutely satanic, uh, if I can phrase it that way, because you're telling your kids that the church is a building. If you Google church, just the word church, what you'll get is 10,000 pictures of buildings. Mm. So unfortunately, that's in uh, our psyche uh, that I'm going to church. We're not called to go to church. We're called to be the church. And Arash could give you the rest of that lecture since he's heard it a hundred times. <laughs> yes, I still have nightmares, but yes, I remember those lectures. Um. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
the reason I say that is I did, I took two little classes and, um, I got very little sleep because of that. So I, I learned my lesson and, uh, and the going for <laughs> So well worth it. Well worth it. So, um, well, I'm, I'm looking online. Um, we don't have any other. Well, I can talk a little bit here while he's coming back. Um, one of the things that we want to make sure of during this time is that as we're caring for others who are bound up in anxiety, we do that out of a heart of love instead of a heart of judgment. Uh, so even our brothers and sisters that are slow in coming back or a little bit afraid of getting together, uh, we have to examine what's the issue that's limiting them. If it's truly a health concern, we're gonna encourage them to stay home, stay safe. If it's fear, we're gonna find ways to, to care for that person's spiritual need uh, in a way that respects and honors them, that draws them back to their place of uh, reasonable service. All right, all right. Any okay. other, um, Joyce, uh, oh, here's another one. Uh -huh. it's just, did you see, did you ask this one? The one about how do you respond to church leadership that views church as a building? No. Especially when you know you only have time to say one or two sentences or do you just walk away? I do think it's important for us to know uh, when we can have an impact on an issue. I think every church is, uh, has brokenness in it, just like every family has issues of brokenness in it. So I'm not looking for a perfect church and I'm not trying to be the perfect church. The church will be perfect on the last day. Uh, it's gonna be in a work of God's gracious like justification and sanctification was when we get glorified. So churches that see leaders who still see church as buildings, I'm going to see where I can, if I'm in a conversation with them, I'm going to see where, where they are now, how I can help make the next step, similar to Acts 19. Paul does an assessment, where are things now? Let's back up to that. So I would back up and say, well, what are some things God's doing at your church? Uh, even though that's language I really don't like to use, uh, and I'll jokingly tell folks, I don't know when church is getting out. Uh, and then uh, because the church has never gotten out, we don't get out. And I tell folks the most important part of the service when we are together for corporate worship, and I believe and I value corporate worship. The most important part of corporate worship is y'all go home now. Uh, we've, we've worshiped together, which reorders our minds, our emotions and our priorities reordered them on the king of kings and lord of lords we've heard the word and we've responded so the most important part now is go home in the power of that which you have received uh, that's the isaiah 6 model it might come with anxieties but god's going to show up on his day uh, when we're together and there's going to be a cleansing happen and there's going to be a commissioning to go and live it out uh, so I would take from wherever they are and to take the next step and uh, not blow anybody off, if possible. Awesome, awesome. Uh, let's see, let me make sure I got all the questions there. Um, any any closing comments or anything uh, before we we say good night? Uh, you do have another minute or two or? I think it would be incumbent on us as a spirit-filled people to realize that it's still an empowering spirit from an almighty God. And I said about Rahab earlier, I truly felt the presence of the Lord when I was talking about Rahab earlier. Seemed to have such a small task, but was a vital task. All of you tonight or those viewing this later, God has a dynamic place for you in his body. Don't take your piece of ministry in the body as unimportant. Don't treat it well. If I was important, I would be there. Since I'm not, eh, it's raining a little bit. I think I'll watch online since that's an option. Don't, please don't do that. God has purposed you and designed you for, for a reason. And find your absolute delight and joy in that First Corinthians chapter 4, one thing required of a steward, which steward in that day generally was a slave. One, one task of a manager, of a steward, is that a steward be faithful. That's the only thing you're called to do. That's the only thing I'm called to do, is to be faithful. I can't measure, I can't be genius. I have some friends who are geniuses. 
I can't measure up with that. I can't run with the geniuses, uh, but I want to be faithful. And you all can be faithful. Whatever God's called you to do, trust him that he strategically placed you. Whatever God's wanting to do in Newcastle County and surrounding areas, he's got the resources right there, right now to do what he wants. You don't need to pray, Lord, we need more money. We might pray for laborers for the field, but we're not going to pray for more money. God's got a design for Newcastle County, and he's got the resources resources in Newark United Pentecostal Church to do exactly what he wants to do in this hour. This is a season for hope, not despair. This is a season for peace and not war in our spirit. This is a season for joy and not uh, uh, boredom. Uh, a season of absolute delight. So let's find it on living out our purpose and mission. Amen. 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 Well, church, thank you so much for joining us here tonight. And um, such a delight to have Brother Littles with us tonight. Um, don't forget, uh, we do have service tomorrow night at 730. Um, and we'll continue our uh, new series. And of course, you'll know what that is tomorrow. Um, don't forget to partner with us, newarkupc.info, and you can partner with us in prayer and giving, um, and please stay connected with one another as we continue our small groups. But thank you so much, and you all have a wonderful weekend and have a wonderful Labor Day. All right. Good night. Good night.